Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, you know, the last few weeks we've been talking about Proverbs. And so what have you learned about Proverbs? Proverbs were lessons, life lessons, that Solomon wrote down that he had been taught by his parents, his father and his mother. And there is so much that we can say about raising children, and and fortunately Solomon was wise enough to write those things down. You know, there are times when God talks to you about things, or somebody else says something that just rings in your heart. Maybe you need to write it down so that you don't forget it. How often do we say, I'm going to write that down, and later we go, what was it? What was it? What was it? I knew there was something important I was going to write down, but what was it? See, Solomon had the wisdom to write it down. And so there are times when you need to write some things down. And uh, I got to looking at this, and the Lord put this on my heart a couple of weeks ago before I even got through with the part of Proverbs we were talking about. And, uh, and because Proverbs is a book where it passes some wisdom on to children, I thought, you know, we get through with the basics, you know, the, the bulk of what I wanted to talk about in Proverbs. We're going to spend a night talking about passing it on to our children because there are things we need to pass on. And um, there are things that I think we, we kind of lose sight of. But, you know, the entire reason that David and Bathsheba taught Solomon, all these things, was so that when he grew up, when he became a man in his own right, he would lead a, lead a successful life. You know, what's the point of raising children if we don't raise them to be a success in life? I mean, how many of us want our kids to grow up and fail in anything? Nobody does. So we, there are things we can do to help ensure their success. And it, it may not always be easy as a parent. Parenting, I realize, is a tough job. It's a job that requires consistency. It requires us as parents being stable individuals ourselves and committed in ourselves to be able to teach our children the things that they need to be taught. But you, know, you, can, you can spend weeks talking about the spiritual aspect of raising children, what you need to instill in them, the spiritual aspect of what you need to instill in them. But really, I want to talk to you about some practical aspects. And Proverbs is full of practical aspects of raising children. Now, we're going to draw from Proverbs a good bit. We're going to draw from some other places. And uh, I just wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six... Seven, eight, nine different areas of things, and, and I'm hoping that I can cut each one of them short enough that we get to all nine of them tonight. Uh, because there's, there's a lot you can say about some, and some just kind of speak for themselves. You know, you don't have to say a whole lot because it's real obvious. But the thing that's not obvious sometimes is that we don't, if we don't t- stop to, to really take, take these things you know, in, into ourselves and, and make them a part of parenting. And you may say, well, I've raised my kids already. Yeah, but do you have grandkids? 
You, if you've got grandkids, then you've got, there's an area that you can still sow into somebody. Actually, there's still areas you can help your children in. I mean, isn't it wonderful to have it reinforced by another generation? We talked about the fact that Proverbs, when, it, when there was the phrase, my son, really meant builder of the family name. And so one generation builds upon another. And as grandparents, we don't, we don't just get to sit back and just say, well, you know, it's their kids. They can do what they please with them. They can do their job. You know, I don't have anything to say about it. Yeah, you should have something to say. Not that you're interfering. If you're a grandparent, I'm not talking to you about interfering. I'm talking to you about reinforcing what your children put into their children. You know, maybe you don't have the advantage of, of, of having... You know, parents that put a lot into you, you have the advantage of being able to put a lot into your grandchildren. You know, you have a lot to be able to put into children that you come in contact with. I mean, as so many of you around here are teachers, you know, in different departments, you have access to these kids. You know, and it's amazing what you can put into them in just the short time that you're with them on any given service. So, I mean, there's an aspect of this that applies to everybody who comes in contact with children of any kind, of any age. And really, there's always something to learn. So, I, I didn't put it down in any particular order, but uh, I'm just going to kind of look around here and just kind of see where I want to start. Um, because there's a lot to be said about what we need to pass on to our kids, what we need to teach them. So I'm going to start with this. Um, respect. Oh, my heavens. Are we living in a day and age where respect is sadly lacking? You know, it starts with, with, with parents. You know, in Deuteronomy 5.16, it says, Honor your father and your mother. And why? It says so that your days will be long. And you'll be a success in life. Deuteronomy 5.16, you can go look that up. You know, respect starts with respecting your parent at a young age. Now, I know we live in the South. And yes, ma'am and yes, sir isn't necessarily a nationwide phenomenon. But it should be. Because my philosophy was when I talked to my children and I asked them to do something or told them to do something, I don't want to hear anything except, yes, ma'am. You know, there comes a certain amount of respect that you need to learn, you know, for a parent. And you must teach it to them. If they don't respect you when they're young, they won't respect others as they grow older. They won't respect teachers in a classroom at church. They won't respect someone who just, you know, is saying, now you don't need to do that. Because let's face it, you know, we're all here and sometimes our kids are not exactly where we are. And if somebody were to say to one of my children when they were growing up, you need to stop doing that because they were doing something they shouldn't be doing, they better, they better respond and they better respond quickly. And it should be a yes, ma'am. And if I found out that it wasn't, there would be some consequences when we got home. Yeah. So you teach them to respect you. You demand respect from them. You do not let them backtalk you. You do not let them disrespect you or your spouse. You know, you know it's one, I, I've seen kids who, who respected one parent, not the other. Uh-uh, that, that won't fly. You know, we have blended families these days. You know, and in a blended family, I, I'm sure it's a lot tougher. But, you know, in a blended family, whichever, 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 
parent belongs to this child biologically, they should be taught respect for the other one as well. That is my father's wife. That is my mother's husband. You respect them. You owe them the respect. And so we have to teach it to them. I have, over the years, have been, have been um, not privileged, but dismayed to see some children talk to a parent in front of me in a way that was highly disrespectful. And a few times I have stopped and said, why are you talking to your mother that way? You apologize to her right now. And I'm thinking, I shouldn't be having to be the one to do that. But somebody needs to stop these, you know, these mouths. I'm telling you what, the, the stuff that's on TV today, actually it's been, it's been working its way through our society for a long time. These sitcoms and things where children are involved, there's some of the smartest mouths around on these things. And, and what does that do? It breeds disrespect into our children. That they seem to think that at five years old that they know more than their mama and their daddy and they can back talk them and be smart mouths. And it carries right up on into that. T- I mean, I, I was looking at something the other day. I'm going, are you kidding me? You know, this was bad 20 years ago. It's worse now. You know, but they need to be taught respect. They need to be taught manners. Manners in the home, manners outside the home. There is a verse over in, um, let's see, Lamentations of all places. It says, therefore, I'm sorry, not Lamentations, but Leviticus 19.32. It says, you shall rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man. That's why I love my 26 translations. So I went and I found a different translation. And it says, you shall rise up before an elder and honor the person who is older than you. There ought to be some respect for somebody who is older than that child. You know, we have, disrespect has been bred into children so that when they go to school, they disrespect their teachers. They disrespect the authority in general. What is that going to do for them when they're old enough to have a job? You know, employers are not always the fairest people. Employers don't always come in to work and are having the best days. But your employer deserves your respect, whether you like what they said whether you like the assignment that they gave, whether you agree with the assignment they gave, no matter, they deserve your respect. If children don't learn respect and manners in the home as young children, they will grow up at a disadvantage. And we're talking about making them successful. You want them to be successful. I'm not talking to you, but telling you that they should be respectful to the point of being abused. Absolutely not. But there is a place for respect. You know, and children should be taught that at an early age. A child should never look at a parent and say no. They will. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to deal with it right then or are you just going to let it slide? If you let it slide, you're creating a bigger problem for yourself. The very first time that little flesh rises up and says no, because they heard the, hear the word no from you all the time. That's what we have to do as a parent. They have to be guided. And the word no is the biggest guiding tool that there is. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. Do you ever, you know, I remember thinking, it seems like all I ever say is no. All I ever say is no. All I ever say is no. Because they're always into something. But that's called training. 
And so we have to, we have to get to the place. They do not tell us no, unless it's a yes or no question. But when you tell them to do something, they never look at you and say, no, disrespectful, disrespectful. When, teach them to honor other people so that when somebody comes along, an adult comes along and says, hey, how are you? They don't just look at and glare at them. That they say, hello. They respond, you know, to, that's called manners. That they respond to someone who's saying hello to them. Are they asking for a hug? No, they're just saying hello. You need to respond. When somebody says hello to you, do you just look at them and glare? Why? Because somebody taught you some manners. Well, it's up to us to teach our children and maybe even our grandchildren some manners. Never let them get away with that. You know, it's disrespectful, and it, it if you don't do something about it, it just reinforces that kind of behavior. So anyway, we'll go on from respect. We'll try to get off the rabbit trails here. Um, how about self-control? Mm. If we don't teach them how to control their flesh, who will? Children who are taught self-control at an early age do very well in school. They do very well in jobs. They do very well in life. Again, we're talking about success. What things do we pass on? What kind of life skills do we pass on to our children that will ensure their success? Self-control is one of them. So I wrote down several different kinds of self-control. Ephesians 6, 1, and Colossians 3, 20 says, both says the same thing. Children, obey your parents. Obedience is an act of self-control. Because we'd all rather do something else. Why should I come in here and do this when I could go out there and do that? I, used to, I remember I was a bookworm when growing up. I mean, I would, I would get two and three books at a time from the library, even when I was in elementary school, and I loved biographies, and I would bring them home, and I would sit down, and I'd read and read, and my mother would say, I would hear my mother say, Angela, come here, just a minute. Angela, I need you now. Cut, just, just a minute. Hmm. The th that only happened once or twice before my mother was in my presence. And I felt her presence. <laughs> you know, obedience should be something that we, we get to a place where we are expecting immediate obedience, not just a minute obedience. But in me, there are times in our lives, if we do not respond to the Spirit of God, immediately it will cost us something great. And so we need to teach our children that an immediate response is what is going to be required of you. Immediate response is what's best for you. And so we need to teach them to obey. You know, they will, if they obey us, then they'll go on to obey someone else. But you know what? And, and in doing so, they learn to obey the voice of God. When they respond to your voice as a parent and they learn that kind of obedience, they will get to a place, spiritually speaking, where they will respond to the man on the inside. They'll respond to the Holy Spirit when he's talking to them. They'll respond to the word when the word's talking to them. So obedience is part of self-control. Then there's this thing right here. Teach them to control their mouth. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Who so keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Moffat says it like this, He who is careful of his lips and tongue will manage to keep clear of trouble. Oh, how many times have we wanted to respond 
to something. You know, but if you'll keep it in its rightful place, you know, you'll stay out of a lot of trouble. You know, uh, the child who controls his tongue won't back talk his mom and dad. He will, you know, I, I used to tell my kids when they were, especially when they got in the teenage years, you can think it all you want, but I better not hear it. Better not hear it. And I better not see it on your face. There may not be any sound coming out of their mouth, but the rolling of the eyes told me a lot. And it wasn't obedience that they were teaching, telling me about. But he's, and then the Jerusalem translation says, he who keeps watch over his mouth and tongue preserves himself from disaster. Oh, how many, how many, how many things have we, because we didn't stop ourselves from saying something, has produced such a mess that it was hard to straighten it out later. I mean, you know, marriages are end over some little something that one person said and somebody else, instead of just keeping their mouth shut, responded to. You know, those are things we can, we can help teach our children when they're young. This is not how you respond. This is not what you say. This is, this is how you, you keep from making situation worse. You know, that's another area of self-control. How about anger? Proverbs 14, 17 says, He that is soon angry deals foolishly. One translation says this. says, He who is quick-tempered acts foolishly. Oh, if you respond in anger, that temper just goes off like this. I am, I'm positive you're going to do something that you will regret. We need to teach it to these children early. Don't respond like that. You, you know, you stop and think about it before you respond. Don't be quick-tempered. You know, we, we kind of sometimes, you know, well, it's in my genes. Well, this is just my personality. Well, I'm Irish. Well, I'm Scottish. Well, I'm this. No, you're not. You're a child of God. And a child of God doesn't act like that. And so we need to teach our children that if you're going to love Jesus, you're not going to be quick-tempered. So, anyway, self-control. You know, Paul said this. He said, um, he said that I keep under my body. Over in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I keep under my body. It means I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection. The only way that, that, that children will be successful, as successful as they can and should be, is if we help them learn to keep their flesh in line. You know, there's, there's times to be silly and to be crazy, and there's times to go, okay, now, that's enough. And that's when they need to turn it off. You know, turn off that stuff. Go to bed, go do this. Now that we need to, we need to settle down and be quiet. We need to settle down. We're going here. We're going to settle down because this is what we're going to do next. You know, the, kids are kids, absolutely. But we're the trainers of these children, you know, and we need to help them learn to handle their flesh. Unfortunately, us as adults sometimes are still learning how to handle ours. You know, and so, but you know what? It's always easy to see when somebody else is having a problem with their flesh, isn't it? <laughs> and, and it's so easy because children are, they're, they're born of the flesh. You know, they, they just give in to the flesh all the time. You know, it's what I want and I want it now. You know, they don't care that you've got 14 things you're trying to get done. I want to be fed right now. I want to be held right now. I want this. I want that. You know, 
We need to train that flesh that it's not all about them. It's not. God entrusts children to us for us to to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They don't become the center of the universe. They become part of a family. And as part of the family, they need to be integrated into the family and be a blessing in this family, not to dominate the family. Mom and dad are the dominators, but to be, to be part of this family. Amen. So anyway, we'll leave self-control now. Now, how about a work ethic and responsibility? We're going to kind of lump these two together. Uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about a work ethic. There's a lot. In, in Proverbs, you're going to find it referred to as a sluggard. And uh, Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Listen, there's a lot of lazy people in the world who want a lot of things, but they're not willing to work for it. And the advertising campaigns of today, everybody deserves something. Get the insurance, health insurance that you deserve. No, you're going to get the health insurance you pay for. Get this. You deserve this. Do you really? What did you put into it? You deserve what you put into it. You know, there's a lot of things we have as children of God. We're not talking about spiritual things. That's a different thing altogether. But in this life, nobody owes you anything unless you worked for it. They don't owe it to you. We've created an entitlement society where people who don't work think that they're owed something. I know there are people who need help, but people who, those people who truly need help are people, generally speaking, who don't want to have to accept the help. They want to get to a place where they're subsisting on their own and they can do it on their own, that they're contributing members of society, not leeches on society. You know, let's face it, the welfare system is based on the fact that you and I who work hard supply for people who don't. That's not right. The Bible says, he who does not work will not eat. I understand there are situations, you know, where somebody's physically unable to work. There are, there are issues that, that cause them to need help. Okay, I understand that. But it should be, if at all possible, a temporary situation. And see, children don't need to grow up thinking that I can have everything I want and not have to do anything for it. That's not, that's not the way this works. God says he's a man who won't work, neither will he eat. It talks about the fact that a man who won't provide for his own family is worse than an infidel. Listen, I told my boys growing up, I know I've, we've been hard on you, but here's the deal. I'm going to make sure, we're going to make sure that there will never be a time that we experience somebody, some young woman coming to us with a child in tow saying, your son won't take care of his family. He said, that day will never come. I'm expecting you to be a responsible adult. And that's why we're hard on this, why we make you do the things that we make you do, is so that you grow up understanding that what your responsibility in life truly is. You know, and, you know, I just, 
I just, I'm amazed sometimes at people who just sit and do nothing, expect everybody else to do for them. Well, the givers never, the givers never take and the takers never give. Isn't that the old, you know, slogan that's been said many times? And it's true. And unfortunately, we enable people sometimes. The more we do for them, the more they want us to do for them. You know, that's why you need to always be, oh, I have down a rabbit trail. Sorry. Sometimes, if you're not careful in what you give to people, you are only enabling them, not blessing them. I better get off that rabbit trail. Proverbs 10.26 says this, As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to them that, them that send him. Now, I don't think that needs much explanation. A lazy person is an irritation to everybody. You know, I can work circles around a lot of people. I remember, I remember a time after, after the storms of, what is that, 2004, somewhere along that we had so many hurricanes. You know, at our property, there was pine trees and there was just limbs everywhere. You know, and you got five acres worth of this stuff to clean up. And so we hired a young man and to come out and help us, you know, with this stuff. And so Pastor had hooked the trailer up to the back of the, of the truck, and, and so we were going all around the yard filling that trailer up and then taking it back to the burn pile and that kind of stuff. And so we're here, we're working really hard, working really hard. How old would I have been in about 2004? I would have been like 50, 50, 51, something like that. So got this teenager out here. He's all of like 16 years old. Now, let's face it, a 16-year-old should have lots of energy, right? Okay. Yeah, here I am. I'm doing this. I'm picking up and picking up until I've got a load in my arms. Go take it over to the trailer, put it on the trailer. I come back. I find me a section. I'm picking it up, loading it up my arms, you know, loading it up, loading it up, loading it up, and then walk over and take it to the trailer and dump it. This young man pick up one stick, walk over to the trailer. He'd go back. He'd pick up. Another stick, he'd walk over to the trailer. Now I'm paying him. He's not there out of the goodness of his heart. <laughs> Pastor looked at him and said, stop. Just stop what you're doing. He said, you see that woman over there? That woman is 51 years old, and she's working circles around you. I think you can do better. Now you tell me, where'd that come from? It's called an irritation. I was irritated. Pastor was irritated. That's called a sluggard. Now, whose fault was that? I won't answer that question. Amen. Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. Here's the amplified version of that. In all labor there is profit, but idle talk leads only to poverty. Oh, there are people who talk big. But that's all they do is talk. Nothing ever gets accomplished. They never put any effort into it. Never put any work into anything. But they've got all this talk about what they're going to do. No. Back it up with what you say. 
We need to teach our children responsibility and a good work ethic. Uh, Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Jerusalem translation says it like this. Autumn is over. They, they tilled in autumn. But the idler does not plow. At harvest time he looks. Nothing there. You expect there to be something when you put nothing in? The Anybody who farms, anybody who tills the ground knows if you don't put any, any work into it, you're not going to have anything when it comes harvest time. But there are people who don't they seem to catch that too well. Um, hallelujah. Um, you know, children at any age can be given responsibility. A two-year-old can be given responsibility. Now, they know this is my toy. You try to take it from them as another child and guess who? That's mine. Mine, 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 you know. So, if it's yours, then you're responsible to pick it up and put it in the toy box. If you're so gung-ho about it being yours, sweetheart, you can pick it up. And don't you do it for them. If you're going to make them successfully learn what it is to put in a work and so some work ethic here, you do not do it, do it for them. Every age my children have, have gone to, they've, they've increased in responsibility. And I do not do their job for them. If that means getting them out of bed, out of a dead sleep, to say, come with me. What is that? Oh, I was supposed to do that. Okay, then do it. Then they would do it, and then they'd go back to bed. I said, your, your room is cleaned up. Your bed is made before you leave for school. I make sure I go in there and say, it's time to get up. I go get breakfast ready. And suddenly, you know, they're like rushing out the door. And I go back in there and when the bed's not made up, I come back here. Come back here. That bed's not made up. Yeah, but I'm going to be late for school. Not my problem. Not my problem. If you'd gotten out of bed when I told you to get out of bed, we would not be having this conversation. So you'll have to explain why you're late to school. And you think that's tough. Listen, life is going to be a lot tougher to them. Life is going to be much tougher to them. The lessons they need to learn, be learn, learning now may be hard lessons, but it's not nearly as hard as it will be when they get grown and on their own. But with every age, you know, you increase the responsibility. When I was six years old, my mother found me a wooden box to stand on so that I could learn how to wash dishes. At eight... I was ironing my dad's work clothes and then progressed from there to everybody's clothes. And I'm still doing everybody's clothes today. But I want him to look good. I dare not let him go out of the house looking. No, you're not wearing that. It's not ironed. No, put that back. No, find something else. No, no, no. But it rarely goes in the closet until it is ironed. Uh, another rabbit trail, sorry. <laughs> move along, yeah, move along. <laughs> But at every age, they should be given more responsibility. When my children got to the age of driving, well, fine, you've got your driver's license now. Now you need a job. Why? Because you're going to pay for your own gas. I don't pay for your fun stuff. You have to pay for your fun stuff. You know, it was amazing. We'd go to the store and, hey, Mom, I'd like to have that. I said, fine, you can go ahead and buy it with your money. Oh, I don't really need it. See, that's how that works sometimes. But at every age, they should be given responsibility. 
You know, they learned, that Pastor, Pastor Greg and I, we were talking on Sunday about uh, Nate was selling some stuff for, to raise money to go to camp. And, uh, and his mom had helped him out. She would purchased some things for him to sell, and he'd already paid her back. He was doing real well, getting his money together for camp, that kind of stuff. And uh, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. I, I looked at, at, at Pastor Greg, and I said, hey, can we find somebody who's got some gourds to wash? I don't know if you remember, but years ago, a bunch of the kids around here used to wash gourds for, for Holly Norton at the time because she was a craft person, and she would go to craft fairs, and she would these decorative gourds. But you have to wash all that junk off of those gourds first. And so, man, they made money over the years, you know, just washing gourds. Did we find somebody with gourds that need to be washed? He goes, oh, no, no, not gourds, not gourds. But my boys, they mowed yards, they washed cars, they did gourds, they did all kinds of things to raise money because mama's not paying for their gas money. Mom and daddy won't pay for your gas money. And when they got old enough to drive, they actually drove, you know, and, you know, things like that. Oh, we're not paying for your insurance. We're not paying for, for this. We're not, no. We're not, we're not paying for it. So if you think that you have the privilege of driving, you also have the responsibility of driving. That responsibility comes with you putting gas in the car. It comes with responsibility of you maintaining your car. It comes with responsibility of you putting insurance on the car. You know, we, we bought both of our boys a car when they were in high school, and this was the deal. This is your graduation present. We will pay half of this car payment, and you pay the other half. And the deal was you don't do certain things like... There are no speeding tickets. There are no tickets. No tickets. Because mom and daddy will be happy to make the entire payment or sell the car if you do not drive responsibly. See, you're, there, there's different levels of responsibility. We step them into responsibility. We give them work to do at home. But don't pay them to do something that's part of a family thing. If there's extra things that they can do to earn some money, that's wonderful. But there are certain things around your home that they need to learn to do on their own when they're young and all, of, all the way up through, you know, to the time that they leave home because they're a part of a family. What ha would happen if I go and say, okay, y'all have to pay me to cook today? Oh, you want your laundry done? Okay, what's it, what's it worth to you? No, it's just being part of a family. You know, and there are things that you do as part of a family. At 10, I was mowing yards. My parents did not care that I was girl, a girl, you know. We were, there were just girls in the house, you know. I learned how to mow yards. I didn't care that my children were boys. They learned how to vacuum. They learned how to clean toilets. They learned how to, how to iron. They learned a lot of things. It doesn't matter what gender they are. There's some life skills you need to make sure you teach your children so that when they're on their own, I don't expect, didn't expect my children to go straight from my house into a married situation for somebody to wait. Times change. You know, my mother waited on my father hand and foot. I don't do quite that badly, you know, in my generation. And it's, and it's, and it's morphed even more into successive generations. There's more of an equal sharing of load around the house because usually both people work. But teach them how to do something. Teach them. Don't just, don't do it for them. Make them get out and clean, clean up the yard. Make them get out and wash the car. Make them earn their own gas money. You know, you, ha you have to establish a work ethic and a sense of responsibility in that child for him to be the success, he or she, be the success in life that they need to be. Both of my daughter-in-law's mothers have told me over the years, thank you for teaching your son how to do all that stuff. They're such a blessing. And I went, 
Yeah, they are. I wish, you know, when, I, when they left home, I thought to myself, oh, man, now I've got all this stuff to do at home myself. But, boy, those guys could put good stripes in the carpet when I said I want the house vacuumed by the time I get home. So they still know how to do good stripes in the carpet. Hallelujah. Um, hallelujah. How about, let's move on from there. How about being a person of their word? Psalm 15, 4 says, He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. The Knox translation of that says, He that is, is true, come what may, to his pledged word. Another version says, One who will keep a promise even to his own detriment and will not retract. Jerusalem translation says, Stands by his pledge at any cost. You know, we, we, we read this and we said, oh, okay, swears by what he pledged, he promised. Listen, it's not cross my heart and hope to die with pinky swear. Listen, if you tell somebody I will do something, then you do it. And a, and a child needs to be taught that. When you tell somebody you will do something, then you have to follow through on it. Yeah, but I've got this to do instead. Listen, I've had over the years... You know, people who have, who have told me they would do something never did it, never followed through. It doesn't matter, big or small, you should always keep your word. If you commit to something, you follow through with it. We were in Ra at Rama one time, you know, for, a, I don't know, homecoming or something. I don't know, meeting. And, and so we had already made plans to go with a missionary to lunch that particular day. We, were, we already had plans. We we're going to meet, meet him, you know, at this particular restaurant. We said, yes, we'll, we'll be there. Pastor Ken Hagen came over to us and wanted us to go to lunch with them. Now, there's a lot of people who would say, oh, well, I mean, let me just get a hold of Scott and tell him we can't make it after all. I've got a better offer. I mean, somebody asked you, I mean, Hagen's asked you to go to lunch with him. And we looked at him and said, I'm sorry, we can't go. We've already, we've already committed to somebody else. See, I've had people stand me up because they got a better offer somewhere else. We've had, we've had ministers stand this church up because they got a better offer somewhere else. They weren't true to their word here. It's amazing. You, know, you need to teach them. If you tell somebody you'll do something, then you do it. Hallelujah. A commitment's a commitment. And, and you know, if it, if it hurts you later because, okay, I had to give up this to fulfill my word, you've learned a valuable lesson. Sometimes we need to stop and consider what we're agreeing to before we agree to it so you don't get in over your head. I've gotten myself in over my head many times because I said yes to something that I didn't take time to, to think it through, that it, this was going to impact this or this part of my time or this, this project, other project I was working on, but I said I would do it, and God, you're just going to have to help me get it all done. You know, sometimes you just have to do it that way. You know, but uh, I, I, I just, I remember sometimes, I, I know I've used this example before, but just in, in the workplace, this is the kind of thing that you want to see somebody do, is I, I saw Robert Butler when I worked for him all those years ago, and he had made a, he'd made a mistake 
on a job estimate, a large job, and it was going to cost him money. He wasn't going to make a dime off this particular project. It was going to cost him money. But because that's what the, the, the bid he gave was this, even though he knew it was going to cost him this much more, he went ahead and did that job for what he had committed to. And he said, you know what? I've learned a long time ago. If I make a mistake, God will always make it up to me. And it wasn't long a job came along later that he called what he used to call a gravy job. That he didn't have hardly anything invested in it, but it was all profit. God made it up to him. That's the reward of keeping your word. Even when it hurts you, God will make you up to you if you'll just trust him. Teach your child that. Be a person of your word. It pays good dividends later. You may not see it right away, but it will pay. Um, how about friends? You know, we, we, sometimes we think, well, our kid just doesn't have friends. Well, Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. How about that? You know, I've seen people over the years who, who I mean, the impression you get from them is like, don't come near me. You know, I've got this little wall here built up around me. No, don't, don't, don't get in my space. And then they complain later how nobody talks to them. Nobody's friends with them. Nobody ever invites them to do anything. And I'm going, well, if you're going to be a friend, you're going to have a friend, you're going to have to be, a, be friendly. You're going to have to be open to being friends with somebody. And I told somebody this one time, I said, you invite somebody then. You go up to somebody. There's somebody who's looking for a friend as much as you're looking for a friend. You find somebody, well, I don't have anything in common with. How do you know that? Don't assume you don't have anything in common with somebody. Even if you don't have something in common with them, there's something you can learn from them. You'd be amazed at how many people that are in your life, really, that you, that you are friends with today that you thought you had no basis for friendship. There was like, hmm. What are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? I don't know. Well, hey, try it. If you're going to have a friend, you're going to have to be friendly. You're going to have to do some reach out. Nobody's reaching out to you. You reach out to them. Leslie Smith is a perfect example of that. You don't mind if I use you, Leslie, do you? Okay. Uh, too late. <laughs> when they first came here, you know, there, there for a while, she's like, I don't have any friends. No, nobody, nobody's asking us to do anything. You know, I, I really want some friends. So what'd she do? She started inviting people over. She'd invite somebody over for, for dinner. She'd, you know, she'd go along, she'd invite somebody else, then she'd go invite somebody else, then she'd invite somebody else. She invited some of the most unlikely people to her house, you know, just, just for, for dinner. Doesn't mean they're going to spend the night. That means they're going to spend a couple of hours. You know, this something is not something that you have to have a lifelong commitment to, just a couple of hours. Invite somebody to lunch after a church on Sunday, you know. You can do that in less than an hour, probably. I got to get home. Got to take a nap before church, you know. But she, but today she's got friends all over this church, and the wonderful thing about it is, she looks for people who need to be drawn in. You know, children need to understand that if nobody seems to want to be my friend, I'm going to make a friend. I'm going to find myself a friend. I'm going out looking. I'm going to have one. 
Because I tell you what, when you develop a real friendship with somebody, it can pay the richest dividends. They can enrich your life so very much. And it goes on to say in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Here's another translation of that. A true friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. Another translation, I like this one even best, says a friend is loving at all times and becomes a brother in times of trouble. You know, most of the time we're surrounded by people who care for us a lot more than what the devil wants to, us to think. Children need to understand that, that be a friend. Don't, don't just try to be a friend with the most popular person at school. You know, you, you kind of see this as they get in, into school situations and they get a little older. You know, don't, try, don't expect to be friends with the most popular people in school. If they ignore you, big deal. There's somebody else who can enrich your life so much more. Look for them. God will help you. Their lives need to be full of people that love them care about them, are concerned about them, who'll be there when they need something, who'll be there to help, who are true friends. You know, people come and go in our lives. But, you know, there are times when you find a friend and it doesn't matter if you've not seen them in five years. As soon as you spend 30 seconds in their presence, it's like there was never a time lapse at all. That's the kind of friends we need to develop. Amen. So teach them about friends. Um, how about this? Teach them what generosity means. You know, to, to become a generous person, you need to, number one, first and foremost, learn to be a giver. You know, and we start that at young ages. I mean, we don't take up offerings, you know, in the tiny tots department, but we do over here in primaries. That is ages three through five or right when they start kindergarten. You know, when they take up an offering, that's the best place to teach them to learn to start giving. Now, they don't have any income of their own, okay? I understand that. Give them something to give. Teach them to be a giver. A little girl years ago came into the primary department, and I think Leslie Morgan was in the class that day, and, and, uh, and uh, she had you know, several pennies or a couple of nickels, whatever. Well, she had more than one coin is what I'm trying to say. She had more than one. There was a little, little child there that day who was, I think, a visitor who didn't have anything with him. And, and Leslie looked at this child and said, don't you want to share some of your money with, with so-and-so so they have something to give? No, I not share. They were, they were only going to give it to Jesus. Okay. <laughs> but see, you gotta, you got to get them on a giving level to start with. They're going to be givers, and then they're going to be sharers. Now we get to come into the generous part of it. You know, you need to share what God has given you. In this case, share what mama and daddy gave you with somebody else. And as they get older, we need to teach them to give out of their own resources. They get birthday money from grandma and grandpa. Number one, teach them to tithe. Number two, you know, say, don't you want to give to something else? Do you want to give, do you want to give some extra into, let's, let's put some in the missions offering. Let's put something here. Let's, let's give more than just our tithe. See, tithing is just a start. We teach them the principle of tithing, but tithing is just ground level of when it comes to giving. We need to teach them to be generous people. I tell you what, over the years, it's easy to identify who came from a generous household and who didn't. That got a lot of amens. 
Generous parents will teach their children to be generous. And Proverbs, again, 11, 24. There's so much in Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 24 says, There is he that scatters and yet increases, and there is he that withholds more than his meat, and it tends to poverty. The liberal soul, the liberal generous soul, shall be made fat, and he that waters shall be watered himself also. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Give. Be generous with your giving. You know, generosity is not the same $10 every week. That's not generous. Mm -mm. No. I can honestly tell you that as far as we're concerned, a guest speaker has come along, and I want to listen to my heart. What's God want me to give this person? Sometimes it's just, you know, oh, just this much, and sometimes it's this much, and sometimes it's this much. It all depends on what's in here. But see, we made a determination a long time ago to be led in our giving, and so you can afford to be generous. Where are they going to learn that? From you. Mama, daddy, grandma, grandpa. If they're going to be a success in life, they have to learn to be givers. They have to learn to be generous. They need to learn to not hold back on what they have, but to give. One of the ways you can teach a child to give is... I used to do this with my kids, and I, and I know PG and Amy, Miss Amy have done this with theirs. They accumulate so much stuff over the course of a year or two. You know, we would go in there about twice a year and say, listen, you've got all this stuff, all these toys, and some of them you never play with anymore. Let's decide which one of these things that we can take and we can give to someone else. You know, and we lived in Jacksonville where the kids were really young, and we would there was there was always a drive going on down at the fire station. You know, toys for tots, I think is what it was called. And so, at least every year before Christmas, we would go through and we would pick out good things, and we would take it to, to the fire station so they could give it to children in need. Listen, teach them not to give away the stuff that they just don't like. Teach them to give away things that they really do like. But they want to share it and be a blessing to somebody else. And in turn, they get blessed. You know, I, there, there are times when, you know, I'll clean out my closet and I'll take some stuff, you know, to, to just, you know, just a, a, you know, just one of those box things where it says food. I mean, not food, but clothing and shoes. You know, just put them in there. Then there are times when it's really nice stuff. And now I want to take it to some place where somebody's really going to benefit from this. And there are times when, like when we moved last year, you know, I needed to clean out a closet. And I'm going, yeah, but Lord, I like this one. No, you need, you need to give that one away. Yeah, but I like this one. Yeah, but you need to give it away. Then there's always this, I'll never fit into that one again, so I might as well get rid of it, you know. <laughs> but I really like it. You know? So share, teach them to share, to share the abundance that God blesses them with, with someone else. God didn't give us secondhand stuff. God didn't give us castaways, the things that he didn't care about. He gave us the very best of everything that he has. And we need to teach our children there are times when you give the very best 
of what you have to be a blessing to someone else. You know, if a child in need, bless them with something that you really love. I've given away jewelry that I really loved, you know, to someone because the Lord said give it. You need to teach that to them. They need to learn to be generous with all the blessings that God gives them. Because why? It'll come back to them, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen. Then I think we've covered everything except finances. And we were talking about, no, I haven't covered everything. Listen, teach your kids the practical concept of financial responsibility. There's a word called budget that you can, you can use on a simple level with a child. You got $10 from grandma, so let's take a dollar of it and, and let's tithe. Let's take another maybe dollar, just, you know, what, do you, what feels good, and give to another project. Let's take some money here and let's put it aside for later. So let's save something. And then you can have some the rest to put on what you have, what you want. You know, the, God blesses us with, us with things, and sometimes we, we take something he blesses us with and we just consume it on ourselves we need to teach our, ch our children the financial responsibility of not consuming everything on themselves. Because what's going to happen is as adults, when they grow up, there won't be any room to save. There won't be any room to give. There won't be any room to be a blessing to anybody else. There won't be any, any room to, to put something aside you know, for, for later. Uh, was, if, you, if you go with me to Proverbs 6, this is too long to, for me to write in my notes, so I want you to just go over there and let's look at it. Proverbs 6, and if I don't hurry, I have five minutes. Hallelujah. Proverbs 6, let's start in verse 6. It says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her meat in the summer, gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you sleep, O sluggard? When will you arise out of your sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come as one that travels and your want as an armed man. You can see a lot of things in here. Number one is not to be a sluggard. Number two is put some things aside. So that there's something stored up for you in times, where thing, in times where things get tough. Too many children leave home with no concept of how to manage their money. They need to be taught how to handle a bank account. They need to be taught how to have a budget. How to save up for certain things that they like or they want. Um, not to blow everything. I mean... You know, growing up, my dad used to say about my sister, a nickel burns a hole in her pocket. You know, and I became the miser, you know. Because of the way I was raised, I wanted to hold on to everything. And it was out of fear because while growing up, we had so little that when I got grown, I didn't want to let go of a penny. 
You know, and so people like me have to learn as well. But there are so many people who don't have any sense of financial responsibility. It has to start in the home. They don't teach it in schools like they should. It should be part of a, of a of life skills kind of a class in high school. I don't know why they don't do something like that. It would benefit children so greatly. You know, you have to teach them how to handle money, what to do responsibly with money, uh, how to, how to purchase, a, make a wise purchase. Kids want to throw their money away on junk. Teach them to stop and think, is this something you really want? Is there something you really need? Teach them to control their flesh. Everything that I want, I do not buy. There have been times when I started to buy something and something just said, don't buy that. Is it because God doesn't want me to have it? No, he wants me to learn to say no to my flesh often enough that I recognize it. And there are times where you need to say no to your flesh. Your children need to be taught how to say no to all their wants. I know God wants us to have all of our wants and desires. He also wants us to, to control our flesh. And there are many people today who their flesh dominates their finances from one end to the other. And that's all. Over the years, seen people... I'm thinking of two or three different kinds of people over the years that got paid once a month. The first two weeks of that month, they ate out all the time. Oh, man, they just got to go to McDonald's every single day. They got to have this, got to have this, got to have this, got to have this. Come the middle of the month, now they don't know how they're going to pay their bills and get, wait till they get the next paycheck. I know what it's like to live from paycheck to paycheck. I know what it's like to get down to a penny in the bank. And if you go under, under a penny, they'll close your account so you dare not go under a penny. So, and, I, and overdrawn is just not acceptable. But they need to be taught that there are times you don't buy everything you want. You don't get everything you want. It's a good discipline on their flesh to say, no, later. I'm not now. I won't buy this now. So do that. Lastly, I have one minute to finish this last one. Excellence. Whatever they do, do it well. Not half-hearted, not half-done. Keith Moore said it like this, and it's the best way I can put it is, good enough isn't. Colossians talks about doing whatever you do in word or deed as unto the Lord. There's, that's a point of excellence. God put excellence in creation. Can you imagine the human body is an example of excellence beyond anything we could possibly ever come up with. Everything is in its right place, doing its right function all the time, and every one of us is made exactly the same. He didn't say, well, today I think, you know, I'm going to have, I'm, this, this child's going to be born, and so, eh, you know, let's just leave the liver out. Yeah. No, whatever job you do, do it well. Do it with excellence. Do it to the best of your ability. You may not be able to do it as well today as you will be able to do it five years from now because I know that to be a fact. Years ago, we did the things we did around here as a church body, you know, as well as we could with the resources that we had. But today, I would think that was like no way are we dealing with that level of excellence. No way. But today's a different story. Because resources are better. Resources are different. But whatever the, the level is, whatever your child does, have them do it well. Not just good enough to get by, but do it well. Amen. So those are some things that if you want your children to be successful in life, those are just practical things that you can help them, things that you can pass on to them. Just like David and Bathsheba passed on their wisdom to Solomon, there's a lot of wisdom in you. 
lot of wisdom in you. Pull it out. Put it on display. Give it to your children. Give it to your grandchildren. I want them to be the best success they can be. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.